everyone, Alana here, and it's been a lot of fun making this podcast. I get to talk about what I love, meet some really cool people doing it, and I have total creative freedom. Are you interested in making your own podcast? Go for it, and go for it with Anchor. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more platforms. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And best of all, it's free. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Girl Presses Play. I hope you all are preparing for sweater weather and Halloween season, which for me has started a week ago with my workout playlist, mostly consisting of the Halloween theme song and Rocky Horror, but that's another discussion for another time. Just a few quick housekeeping notes before we get started. Uh, Just wanted to remind everyone that we are still running our Patreon donation drive since we're doing an episode about Black Panther later this month. Girl Presses Play wanted to honor the late Chadwick Boseman by donating all of our Patreon proceeds for October to St. Jude Children's Hospital and Howard University. Click the link in the description below to join Patreon and make your donation today. Also, just a quick note about the interview with the Cinema Guys. So when we recorded our episode last week, Justin of the Cinema Guys had to quarantine last minute. So we ended up recording our conversation over Zoom. And unfortunately, about halfway through the conversation, Justin's internet started acting up and he couldn't get back into the Zoom meeting for the last half of the episode or so. So when his voice suddenly disappears halfway through... Don't worry, he didn't get abducted by aliens. We didn't just kick him out of the meeting to be spiteful. It was just um, a technological issue that we just wanted to give you guys a heads up about. And lastly, Girl Presses Play will be taking a break next week in order to do a little bit of catch up. We will be back with a new episode on October 13th. You can follow our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for updates. We do have a very fun and Halloween-appropriate genre that we're talking about today. So today's episode is going to be interesting because the genre we're talking about, it's a genre, but it's also in some ways a lifestyle, shall you say. Today we are talking about cult films, specifically cult status films. For cinephiles everywhere, they hold this weird and wonderful space in our hearts and their existence is kind of inexplicable but their fan base is hardcore if you're wondering what a cult classic film is i have a great definition for you from dartmouth university from their film genres library 
So their definition is a term denoting an eclectic group of films defined post hoc in terms of their consumption by dedicated and devoted groups of filmgoers who engage in repeat viewing, celebratory enthusiasm, and performative interactions. The birth of cult films started with the counterculture films of the 60s and 70s, which were very much made not necessarily as films to be watched, but experiences to be had and ideas to be explored. And a lot of them were critically planned and also did terribly at the box office. But then once home video came in and midnight movies started becoming a thing, they found these not only new audiences, but very, very devoted audiences. Probably one of the most common cult films that even non-movie people could probably name off the top of their head is the Rocky Horror Picture Show with their midnight screenings, which are especially common in New York City around this time of year during Halloween. A reporter for The Guardian named John Patterson, he wrote this really sweet and funny I guess you would call it an op-ed, but he wrote an article for The Guardian about going to America for the first time and going to a Rocky Horror Picture Show screening for the first time in DC. It's a really fun read, and it also includes a lot of really interesting tidbits about cult films and, and midnight movies in the US. You should definitely check it out. I will hyperlink it below. I'm fairly new to this world. I... My first cult film, I'm trying to think, it was either Miami Connection just two years ago, or no, I lied. I watched Troll 2 when I was in college with my roommates. I forget why we had stumbled upon this, but we decided it was a good idea to watch it. And not only was I shocked at just the fact that this movie was a thing that existed, but even just the fact that it has this huge audience and people make memes and make funny jokes about it. And as I started watching more of them, I started to find that I had more questions than I did answers about the world of cult films. But today, those questions shall be answered. We are going to be talking with the cinema guys to discuss what gives a film cult film status and what's simply just a weird film that everyone likes. So get cozy and get ready to get weird because we're talking cult status films with the cinema guys today. Future events such as these will affect you in the future. Could you give us some of your political beliefs? Kill everyone now! Nice dress. Thanks, I bought it at Versace. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. So we are taking a look at some of the best and worst cult films and see what unites them with the help of some fellow film lovers. They were voted one of Cincinnati's top five local podcasts, and they've been written up in City Beat and Soapbox Cincinnati. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm welcome to Brad, Justin, and the Cinemaiden, aka the Cinema Guys. Hello. Hello, Hello. from New York. Hello. How are you guys? Hi. This is exciting. Quarantined all separately. Yes. <laughs> So fun. Just like we're everybody alone else. together. Yeah, we're alone together. Yeah, I mean, New York isn't much 
better we've opened indoor eating, but I honestly don't think people are comfortable enough at that mm. at this point to like go out to a very enclosed indoor space where you're like elbow to elbow with someone and their $20 plate of pasta. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I, most people aren't comfortable with that yet. <laughs> but were people ever comfortable with that? I just don't even know the rules. Yeah. What are the moves? There are no rules. Yeah. There are no rules. Yeah, just laugh or cry. Know. That's the choice you have. Just laugh or cry. Laugh, cry, or cough. And we could laugh or cry to a lot of these films. Hashtag awkward oh. transition. <laughs> so that was a great I, transition. Speaking of laughing, you. Cry. thank you very much. So I know I have my criteria. I'm very interested to hear what you guys think makes or doesn't make a cult film or cult status film. We should specify for the audience, not films about cults like the wicker man or midsommar or something like that like films with cult status so one of my first criteria is they have to be made by directors who they either don't really know what they're doing or they just love what they're doing so much they don't really care that they know what they're doing so my example of that is like miami connection has a really weird backstory in that the guy who directed it, wrote and directed it, Richard Park, he only made it to advertise his soon-to-be opening Taekwondo school and has never made a movie in his entire life, which I think is hilarious because it actually turned out okay oh, for tell. someone who had never picked up a camera. It could have been a lot worse. <laughs> it could have been like full suburban Sasquatch. How did he even think this was a good idea? But I don't know. There's something like slightly idiot savant about a cult film. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, so as I, I was, I think you and Brad are probably really similar in that. So my introduction to cult film was a girl I dated in 1996. Um, and well, actually, what were you two? I think maybe. Yeah, um, I was, I was and, seven. Uh, she took me to the Rocky Horror Picture Show that was gonna be shown at this theater. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll go see a movie. That sounds great. I had no idea what I was walking into. So I walked into the outfits and the leather and the uh, skin and the rice and all the stuff. And I remember being like, what is, what is this? And at that moment, I realized there is a whole love of film that I don't have, that I didn't know that people had. Um, so then, that was what I thought was, okay, this must be cult film. And then after that, uh, I don't think I got back into one until something like Big Lebowski or some of the bigger ones that I would say are cult films. So then I've always associated with, okay, they didn't do well in the box office, but they're also, yeah, they don't have to be bad films. But, but now I've seen mm -hmm. like knowing Brad, who's got me into all these other films. Oh, you can, perp like, I think I was probably part of one uh last uh october when i was on greg sestero's film like i didn't know i was like, so now i know that you can make them what on purpose, you were right? in a greg sestero film what? oh yeah, yeah. What? I'm, the, uh, I'm the production artist and then i'm also like a glorified extra in the back of like several scenes but uh yeah <laughs> i got to be on set for a couple oh, days my, God. Cool. my boyfriend's gonna be so <laughs> jealous <laughs> We he, he and Greg are BFFs. Oh yeah. my god. That's uh, amazing. He, uh, he flew me and my wife. He was like, hey, I'm going to fly you up. And I was like, can my wife come? And he's like, 
Yep. And so he put us up in a hotel and we, it was really odd three days. That was really cool and fun, but also very surreal and odd. But so his movie should be coming out soon. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it though, but I mean, I never signed anything, but I don't know. I think if you never signed anything, you're right. Fine. I can do whatever I want. Right. And he, he talks um, about it all the time. Yeah. He talks oh, about true. it. So mm-hmm. anyway, but then, yeah, yeah I mean... it, it, it's uh, but it's his attempt to make a, a good movie. After watching Best Friends, I went expecting something low, but it was probably a crew of 30 to 40. Um, and it was really nice cameras and we were shooting all day and like it was very professional. Uh, it looks cool. So I don't know. We'll see. But anyways, uh, so now I, so I, I think I originally thought that films didn't have to be low budgeted to be a cult film. Just it bombed, but a lot of people happen to like it. Um, but now so I know you can make them, right? You mm-hmm. can make Sharknados. And I just, you know, I got my children and all their friends to watch Velocipaster like two days ago. So, That's so uh, interesting because that was actually one of my things where I'm like, it can't be a cult film if it's this. But I think about how there has to be, and maybe I'm not thinking that it has to be low budget, but more of there has to be a somewhat low budget quality to it so like rocky horror and troll 2 and miami connection everything's very like handmade and you can see how the crew kind of like scrapped their stuff together and made it work but then i think of things like the room and showgirls and point break and they had actually like pretty substantial budgets behind them i think i tend to think of cold films as like the films that no one had faith in but they got made anyway. Mm. And I equate it with like, oh, well, if you had a bunch well, of money, then people had faith in it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to see what become, like, it, isn't it up to the the mob to decide, yep, we're going to all like this or no, we're all going to hate this. Like, we're I never talking about good point. this, right? And more often than not, I think a lot of people associate cult films with a horror movie you know like an evil dead where it's really low budget and it just became this huge thing Mm -hmm. when my criteria yes low budget but i'm with justin like it it has to get a large following behind it in order to kind of to be that you know give it this cult status it doesn't necessarily have to be a low budget it can be a big budget like like for instance you could feasibly say like the Fast and the Furious franchise, it was almost dead after the third movie. Like it was almost gone. <laughs> but because of the quote unquote, you know, the the fans and the cult status behind it, they were able to get a fourth one and a fifth one made. And now we're Couldn't getting you say ready that about to go Star Wars though, Brad? Could you say that about uh, Star Wars? No, because Ooh, I mean your point. theory, your theory, because your theory is saying like, oh, it's for the fans. Like most the last three Star Wars films were definitely for the fans. Right. They, they but were. I, I but don't think technically different. you can be cult movie and mainstream. I think the two no. definitely yeah, have Yeah, they don't go hand divide. in hand. Uh, but but uh, Firefly would be a great example. I said, I said earlier Fifth Element. Resurrected it. Uh, That's Fifth true. Element. And that was a good movie. I remember seeing the movie before actually knowing what Firefly was. And I was really Firefly's impressed. Yeah. And to be fair about the Fast and the Furious, I do think Tokyo Drift has somewhat of a cult following yes, within does. Fast and Furious fandom. I even had, I was going to visit a friend in Japan 
And he said, I was like, oh, what are some movies I should watch, you know, to, you know, get a vibe of Japan. And he said, don't laugh at me. The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift actually has some really great shots of the city. Oh my God. Wow. But yeah, I found that of all the kind of oh. early Fast and Furious movies, that one has the most devout following. Oh, absolutely. I does. thought for sure, this is a rabbit hole, but I thought for sure that in this last movie, when they're bringing everyone back, they would bring that like country guy from, from Tokyo Drift, like the main character. I was like, oh, he's got to come back, right? But man, yeah, they are- They, they only like bring seconds. the guy that he competed against, or at least the last couple of ones yeah. I've seen yeah. or followed. He's like cool. they only bring, I forget what his name is, but like the bad slash good yeah, yeah. guy. Yeah. Oh, Han? Uh, sorry, actually, I cut Yes, you thank you, Han. I was like, I know he has kind of like an American pop culture name. I can't remember because yeah. there was like the soul O joke. Yeah. But now I will say, like Justin, you mentioned Velocipaster. I think like it's a, or even Sharknado. It's the thing now is you're trying to make a cult movie. Yeah. It's like they mm -hmm. want this. Like we're making a movie that's going to be a cult film. Which yeah, Velocipaster, Alana? I have not seen Velocipaster. Oh, it's 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 you it's so made to be bad. You're yes. watching it going, oh, they wrote, which I think might be a skill to write script to be bad. I was like, man, whoever mm -hmm. wrote this, I'm just interested in like, man, they wrote a really bad script on purpose. Oh, they um, absolutely did. It's even more purposeful than like I think than the first Sharknado. This one's like I want to be horrible. Uh, I mean, it, what, it's, is that it's like, good. was that movie Rubber with the tire that regains consciousness? That kills oh, people? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's like obviously made to be terrible. Or I was even thinking of this because I watched recently The Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And you think from the title, oh, it's going to be this wild romp and it's going to be so crazy and weird. And to give credit to the movie question mark it's actually very good and it's very thoughtful and uh, without giving too many spoilers it's a very kind of you know looking back on your life and thinking about what you've lost in order to accomplish big things and it's a very wow. like quiet sam elliott drama in a lot of ways yeah, best take on man that killed hitler and bigfoot ever <laughs> <laughs> and it was where i was sitting there i was like i thought this was gonna be like a funny campy because that was one mm. i think my big thing is too that like the mob can't try to make it a cult hit if that makes yeah. sense because i feel like from the title alone they were trying to go for that audience they were trying to get people to say oh this is a future cult classic but it's more of just like a pretty good melodrama unlike the movies oh. you know that sci-fi makes where you know it's like big spider versus mega shark you're like I, I know what they're trying to do here yeah but do you feel like those kind of movies that tr just try yeah. too hard like they shouldn't be cult classics because they're just trying too hard like yeah. i feel like no, the best absolutely not. the best cult classics are the ones that don't even try right like i know well, one of the biggest ones vein is is boondock saints i would probably say that's one of the biggest cult movies i could think of oh, i don't yeah. like the movie i'm mm -hmm. not one of the fans but i, I like it. i like it <laughs> it is one of those films um, that that lower budget kind of under the radar but it has become like this big thing and people judge you by like what do you think of boondock saints well, I feel like Boondock Saints is like the Kurt Vonnegut of cult films. Everyone's like, oh, you've never read cult Kurt Vonnegut. It's the same with, oh, you've never seen Boondock Saints. Yeah. You don't like it. 
Like there's plenty <laughs> of mainstream movies or movies that everyone agrees are wonderful and like, yeah. Okay. I my my issue with Boondock Saints was I worked at Hollywood Video uh, when that can't hit the shelves, and I remember seeing it and it advertised on the on the little VHS tape. Um, if you love Pulp Fiction, you'll love Boondock Saints, and I was like, well, I love Pulp Fiction, especially in like 1996. That is I a false statement. That is such a false statement. Yes. <laughs> and. Um, they did that with, have you ever seen the movie Existence? Yes. I saw I'm embarrassed I haven't watched that because I've seen pretty much um, every other Cronenberg film. I've seen Naked oh, Lunch and I haven't seen Existence. Oh, Existence is amazing. But I rented that because it's the same time, around the same time it came out. And it said, if you love The Matrix, you'll yes, love Existence. And I was like, that. well, I love The Matrix. And I have <laughs> well, no I love why the those Matrix. two would be connected to any no. degree. <laughs> There's no reason to connect those at all. Oh, you did mention, uh, you know, Paul Verhoeven and Showgirls. I feel like he's a director that has made other bigger budget cult movies like Starship Troopers. You could not quite maybe put uh-huh. RoboCop on there, but mm-hmm. it, it kind of became bigger after the fact. Yeah, you know, well, I feel like released. not maybe as much for Showgirls, but especially Starship Troopers was very much not understood until after the fact. I was watching the half in the bag episode about Starship Troopers and they actually brought up a really good point that it's parodying a propaganda film but it is made as a propaganda film with all the like high key lighting and everyone's really beautiful and the cheesy plot line Mm -hmm. but people just took it so as is in the 90s. People Mm -hmm. had no idea what to make of it but then in 2020 when the world looks a lot like Starship Troopers in a lot of ways, or Robocop, or any Paul Verhoeven film. You're like, oh, I get it. This is yeah. an anti-militarization my, um, film. I've taken my my 16 year old. Hey, we have gone through. It's been a decade of a journey through film. But just it was probably a month ago we watched. I was like, hey, I'm gonna let you watch this movie, Starship Troopers. I was like, it's not good, but I really like it. I really like it, but. I was like, I, and he's like, I was like, but a lot of people know it, so you should watch it. And he was real interested. He was like, oh, I, he, he followed, he jived. I realized Starship Troopers would be considered a cult classic, but I like it a lot. And I'm not surprised because kids have so much access to content that they're so content savvy at this point. Oh, yeah. It's a little frightening. I'm not going to lie. I think a part of me feels like oh I went to like film school and I sought out all these films in the Criterion collection and now there's you know 18 year olds on YouTube who are doing dissertations about cinematography and like Mm. I'm impressed with you but damn it Um, he just jumped into Coen Brothers films so we started with Big Lebowski Mm -hmm. and his big thing was he was like so this whole thing was about nothing and I was like yeah that kind of makes sense he's like because there's no resolve to any of the characters there's no growth to any of the characters nothing really happens they're all exactly where they were when they started I was like yeah that sounds about right and he's like so why do people love it I was like I don't know it's just good it's just good <laughs> that's a very Coen Brothers thing now that I'm kind of running through all of the Coen Brothers films that I've seen in my head like, I feel like No Country for Old Men is a little bit like that um, what's the other one that I'm thinking of um in your pocket put it in your pocket 
oh my god I'm blank because I've seen oh oh brother where art thou I feel oh. like the characters are like generally even though they went through a very kind of classic yeah. hero's journey he, he'll see he liked oh brother well. where art thou and he liked big Lebowski and there's another one we watched but then he watched um true grit because uh, he loves western that's the one that's the one I'm thinking Westerns. of that's like kind of an anomaly um, in a way yeah True Grid, he was like, oh, this one's not quirky. I like their quirky stuff. Yeah, I mean, granted, like, that was a yeah, remake, so it technically of... wasn't their own material. Yeah. I was like, it's way better than John Wayne. I hate John Wayne. <laughs> I'm also realizing, now that I'm looking at the list of like films that I really like in the cult status stratosphere, I love the ones with very bright colors. And I think that might have been a rule that I went by that I didn't realize until now, is if it doesn't have like big, Ooh. bright colors crazy high-key cinematography it's not a cult film what is your list what are the ones so my list is my highlights list is miami connection um are we going with ones that like already are cult status films or ones that could definitely be cult status films because i have a couple yeah because i have a couple that i think are like future cult status films um so mine are let me hear your list of both Okay, so I would say my go-to cult status films, obviously Rocky Horror, and I feel like definitely go to Midnight Screening. Don't watch it by yourself, because I know a couple of people who watched it by themselves. It was like, oh, I have some free time. I'm going to try this movie that everyone talks about. And it's the movie isn't really about that. It's about the experience of watching the movie. Now, yeah. is that, that sense? true? I feel like Sorry, the, the, room, the room is the same way, where don't watch yeah. it by yourself. Because I tried watching The Room by myself and I was kind of like, eh, I don't really get it. But is is that true of the original? Like when the person who made Rocky Horror Picture Film, did they shoot to make that sort of experience? I don't think so. Yeah. I think they just wanted to make like, I don't want to say like an erotic grease or something like that. But if I'm correct, it was made around the same time that Grease came out. So they wanted to make like the cool kids Grease. I could be totally wrong about that, but I am remembering that Grease and Rocky Horror weren't so far apart. We're calling it Cool Kids Grease for now on. I love it. Yay! I came up with cool cult status terminology. Um, I'm torn because I know, like I just said, it had a bigger budget and kind of a director with more acclaim, but I fucking love show. I freaking love showgirls. This is a family show. I'm not going to use the F-bomb, but if I was going to use an F-bomb, mm. this is going to be for showgirls. I would also say Troll 2. I'm very into like the classics, if that mm. makes sense. Um, I think a couple of the future ones on my list is The Void, which is a super gross, wonderful, Lovecraftian body horror film. I wasn't a big fan of that one. I don't know. Oh, like, I liked just... it. Even if the movie doesn't really work as a story, I love when a movie is just like, go big or go home. Like, to spoil Midsommar a little bit, which is a film about a cult, not a cult status film. The ending was, I love that it was just like, go big or go home. Like, balls to the walls. This is what we're doing. Right. So I would even say, even if I didn't love the ending of a film like that, I appreciate that that's what they did. And, and for me, it, like, I would, I would say... A future cult status movie for me i know justin and the cinema and are going to shake their heads when i say the name of this film but it's resident evil 7 no the color <laughs> the color out of space 
Oh where God. well, that was my next thing. It's like, isn't Nicolas Cage in and of himself now? If he makes one, it's a cult oh, movie. Oh, there's He's definitely going a genre. To be a Nicolas Cage film festival at some point in our lives. Which I mean, for instance, when he Mandy kind of became like that big cult movie when it came mm-hmm. out because people were like, well, it's Nicolas Cage, but this movie is just insane, crazy. And now it's become like, I mean, it's Nicolas Cage, so it's just become even bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the same director, right, that did Mandy in Colorado Space, or am I hallucinating? No. Uh, oh. Richard Stanley did Colorado Space. Gotcha. It, it was when his we first did movie in like the live years. showing of Colorado Space, my Nicolas Cage catalog was back with Face Off and Con Air and, and Fast Times. Oh, like, 90s that's how Nicolas I, Cage. I knew him. And so all these people showed up for one. I was like, wow. And then they were doing, we did like a contest for the best Nicolas Cage impersonation. And they all started doing this Nicolas Cage. That I was like, hold on, what is this? And then I watched Color of Space. It's like, they were doing this. And I don't know this Nicolas Cage. It's like, a <laughs> yeah, Mandy, and- Mandy Nicolas Cage is not moonstruck Nicolas Cage, which is kind of sad. Yeah. But all good things must come to an end. Every end has a beginning etc etc um yeah it's interesting but i almost feel like that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy like oh just because it has nicholas cage and it looks bonkers like it's a cult film i also feel like there needs to be a bit of aging like cheese with cult films (laughs) i like i like that i agree i i think there are some people that call it like like that instant cult movie or they'll Mm -hmm. give it that title which it may not necessarily meet that criteria. I know there's one coming out soon. It is Possessor from Cronenberg's Son, which I I think will become Mm -hmm. that cult type of movie because it's going to be so strange that it doesn't appeal to, you know, the mainstream, but it will become like that, that cult movie that I was, have you seen this movie? You should watch this movie. Well, I think there's also something I didn't think about is the idea that, a lot of these films now that are coming out, if they come out on VOD within the next year, I don't want to say like they can't be a cult film, but I feel like everyone's going to end up watching them because everyone is watching everything right now. And you can't really be like a 20, a cult film that came out in 2020 that no one watched because everyone's mm-hmm. literally watching everything because we have so much time in our hands, if that makes sense. True. That's true. Um, you guys didn't mention Toxic Avengers. I thought for sure that would that. be like a classic, right? Well, actually, I, no. I've seen the musical. I've seen. Isn't the that like the classic? It, it is, but anything that comes out from Trauma is one of those that's like Trauma's in kind of a cult studio. I mean, that's what they put out. Yeah. They put out movies like that. Is whereas, like, oh, it's a Trauma so when movie. That movie. You came know out in the nineties. Was it came like out that in, then? Like, let's look it up. It came out late eighties, I believe. It was the first movie. Late eighties sounds. So back then, they yeah, the weren't Toxic Avenger to make... came out in eighty four. Were they it's trying true. to do that then? Back then, it, it was probably one of those that, like, oh, look at this crazy weird movie. Whereas now, Troma's like, well, we know what their movies are going to be like. That's true. Again, it's that kind of like Nicolas Cage style self fulfilling yeah. prophecy of, oh, it's a trauma film. A college yep. friend of mine was in the film Return to Newcom High. Just the title alone, Return to Newcom High. Yeah. Like, they know what kind oh, of film they're making. That. And I think that's maybe a big part of it too. Like, if the filmmaker knows what kind of film they're making, 
or not. Because I don't think, like, the Troll 2 director, for example, stands by the fact that he thinks it's, like, a good movie and everyone should watch it. Yeah, he does. And it's not a full, you know, Tommy Wiseau situation, but he did not and does not realize the kind of film that he put his name on. Well, Tommy Wiseau thought he made Um, a good movie, too, but he has since kind of changed and embraced that mm -hmm. comedy aspect of it and just kind of let it become its what it is now yeah you never know what you're gonna get known for i mean this is what i would consider it started out as a cult hit and then it just became a big tentacled ip but stranger things i met this guy at comic-con new york comic-con and i forget he was at one of the indie comic distributors we were just chatting and stranger things was brought up and he said his girlfriend plays the girl that when have we all seen the first season? Mm-hmm. Okay, when yeah. Barb doesn't show Stranger up Things. <laughs> yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, have you heard? Of What's it? this Netflix? It's about this little girl who killed a bunch of Russians. And she likes waffles. And she likes waffles. That's basically it. A girl kills Russians and eats waffles. Um. But yeah, his girlfriend played the girl that when the older sister asks if you've seen Barb and she's like, no, I haven't seen her all day. That girl has a whole Wikipedia page for her character. Um, I think that's also a part of cult status films as well is that there's gotta be a real like almost scary amount of devotion to it. That's interesting. I like that. Brad looks like he disagrees. No, no, I was trying trying to think, do you think some movies background type character getting like this cult following behind them like for me boba fett is my favorite star wars character and he's in Mm -hmm. the films for maybe five minutes but he has like a cult following behind that character not necessarily that the movie is a cult movie itself and he's straight up wearing jeans and construction knee pads every time i see him like he's wearing jeans (laughs) he's just wearing jeans that's so interesting because that's how you could also say that for Lando who granted he had like a very big part in the Empire Strikes Back his screen time isn't amazing but Mm. now everyone's saying oh there's going to be a whole Lando series or there's going to be a whole Lando movie granted part of that I think is also because Donald Glover I mean Donald Glover knocked that out of the park so oh yeah yeah. (laughs) childish Landino forever but yeah so what about like you say Say like so, Kevin Smith movies, right? Like they have their mm-hmm. own world. Quentin Tarantino has his own world, and so does um uh the Coen Brothers. Like they're all like quirky, or uh Wes Anderson as well, or what? Yeah, yeah Wes, Wes Anderson. Anderson. He has his own little film nerd, oh. film nerd cult. Uh, you were saying, I'm listening. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, but saying, I th- yeah, the party. I think that's very true in regards to. I don't know if it's even a certain director, but the world that they built has such a following. I've never heard of Wes Anderson films, but I've definitely heard of like Quentin Tarantino films or the Coen brothers or- I I think Wes Anderson does have a following. I know Mm -hmm. quite a few people that are like, anything he puts out, anything like, I I watch all the Wes Anderson movies like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not a big fan. Sorry. I feel like A24 is a fan of West film Anderson films. We've had this discussion many a times I don't before. Know. Remember that. I think Fight! 75% of them are really good. 
Grand Budapest Hotel, I love, but yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel was great, but I also feel like that was almost him kind of stepping out of his comfort zone in a little bit because there was a lot of framing devices that he had to manage. So I feel like because of that, he had to concentrate maybe on the story more than he did on the aesthetic. I mean, obviously he concentrated on the aesthetic because there's a lot of motifs in there that really work, but no, I've seen a lot of the Wes Anderson films and that one is the story that I'm most involved in because it feels really well done and intricate. Now, are there, you said you've, you've listed a few cult movies that you- I think I love all of them except for He's not letting this Wes Anderson letting horse one go. die. This is going to bleed over to our next episode. <laughs> we'll just call this one episode, talking. but Wes Anderson though. Oh my goodness. It's okay. We got this. We'll, right. we'll keep chugging along. I'll, I'll let you, you uh, Brad? Where? Oh, I was, I was going to say, we all have our own cult movies that we probably watch regularly. Correct. Like, Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, some that I, I mentioned are like evil dead or, Peter Jackson's early films like Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles are kind of, they're a little more of the lower kind of cult type movie, but Mm -hmm. they do have a following behind them. Another one I have on my list is, I actually talked about this in the Patreon episode for September, but it was, I just love it so much. I want to talk about it again. It's called Anna and the Apocalypse. And it is a zombie musical that takes place during Christmas. Mm. And not only is it like this great, fun, zany film, but I also think it definitely has that Rocky Horror style interact to interactivity where people can sing along and people can bring giant candy canes. And I need to rewatch that actually. I haven't watched it in a bit, but I could definitely see that. Like I, I could see it be being that type of following to that movie. For me, it was one of those that I I was excited to see it and I was all in and it started out great but then it just kind of fizzled for for me personally but I can see mm-hmm. a, a following behind it okay so I have a question for you guys yes um so do you think like a film that you consider a cult classic like you're saying boondock saints is a cult classic I don't consider boondock saints a cult classic at all because too many people love that movie everyone loves that movie or knows that movie or has seen that movie I feel like cult classics to me are lower known films that are good quality and not as well loved widely boondock saints i consider to be widely loved princess bride i consider to be widely loved i don't get why people consider the princess bride a cult film it's on like every other afi list millions of people have watched it so Like like where is that line i feel like one where is that line between you say it's a popular cult classic film, but everyone's seen it. It just didn't get a nominated for like an Academy or something like that. I consider cult classics to not have an Academy kind of nomination or any kind of award nomination, but also a third to a quarter of the um, blotting news mm-hmm. yeah, of a blockbuster film. Now also, Mm -hmm. also, would you consider something like Boondock Saints, like it might've been a cult classic like 10 years ago, but now everyone loves it. Can you revoke the cult classic title? That is a loaded question and I Mm. love it. Um, That is so interesting because that is something to be said about Rocky Horror as well, is even if you haven't seen the movie. Everybody knows it and everybody loves it. 
Yeah, everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. Everyone, I mean, there's a reason that, you know, years and years and decades later, they're still running, whatchamacallit, midnight screenings. I actually went to college with someone who her college job was performing as Frankenfurter at one of the like downtown um, East Village Rocky Horror midnight screenings throughout September and October. Mm. So there is something to be said about even just the fact that it's part of popular culture in some way. I was just yeah. thinking about that with um, the fact that Alamo Drafthouse, I don't know if they have their own distribution company, but they will like buy the basically screening rights to all these weird underground films and they have Weird Wednesday and Terror Tuesday. Like has the culture of cult, cult. film become too popularized Popular. for it to be cult? Yeah. That's oh, we're getting meta. Well, then what mm-hmm. is cult film called? What is the low budget, barely seen film called if it's not going to be a mm-hmm. cult classic? Because these cult classic films are just manufactured now. They're not actually organic cult classic films. Yeah, right. well, it's interesting because it's almost like, yeah, the keyword is try. Like if you try to be a cult yeah. film, no, 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 no. I don't know why I said it like that, but no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting because... I don't know how you guys feel about A24 film, A24 films in general. I really love them. And what I'm about to say is not in regards to like the quality of the films they're making. But I remember when I first started watching A24 films, it felt like this very underground, you know, rebel indie studio that was just going to make whatever they want. And then Moonlight wins the Oscar. And true, there's some films that they make, like I would say Ari Aster's films. I can see him having a cult following down the line with a couple more films. Um, but yeah, you could see how some of um, the other films that they fund or distribute, you're going, probably no one's going to see this, but we're going to give it a wide release mm-hmm. anyway. Not for yeah. the quality, but just how unmarketable the film might be. But yeah. now you see them getting more into TV and having wider releases and bigger budgets. So are they now still the kind of underground production company that they started out as? Mm. Also, along that same line, what become what makes a film not really marketable? Like Rocky Horror, I think would be like, as you said, like the, the bad, cool kids, Greece, like that kind of culture wasn't really marketable in the day. Today, it is marketable. Almost anything now is marketable. So what do you consider something that's not a marketable film now? Because if you say that something is like um, someone that is a drag queen, if you say it's not marketable, well, you're going to have a lot of people on your ass <laughs> and you're going to look like an asshole. Sorry for my language. Brad, bleep that out. Um, not me. But like, I'll bleep it out. Don't worry. It's a family show. <laughs> thank, it's thank a family you. show about cult thank films. You. But like, those are the kinds of things like you can't say that that's not going to be marketable or you can't say that a film about uh, a gay couple is not marketable and it's a cult classic. Like those kinds of things are marketable now because they mm-hmm. are mainstream. So what makes a film not marketable now? Yeah, I feel like these days it's not about what you market. It's about how you market it because it's not a cult film. Although I feel like it actually could become a cult film in decades to come, but um One of the last films I saw in a theater was Birds of Prey. And there were all these blog, first of all, it made like a couple hundred million dollars in the box office. So it was successful in my, in my eyes, but a lot of people were talking about, 
oh, well, it wasn't marketable enough because, you know, Harley Quinn wasn't in the title and this, this and that. And I was like, well, it's not that the movie failed. It's that the movie wasn't marketed right. It's not that the movie wasn't correctly. Exactly. It just wasn't it is marketable. You just did it correctly. wrong. Yeah. What about a movie that gains a cult following before it's even released? Like that to go, I'm not go okay off, with. That doesn't even make sense. You're not DC, even seeing the movie. The, the Snyder cut of Justice League. It, uh, it has a cult following and it uh, we're not getting it for another year. We didn't even think we were ever going to get it. But because of this following, we are going to get it now. See, I feel like that's, to me, when I think of the DC, like the Justice League Snyder cut, I just think immediately of a punchline. You know, film geeks will be like, well, that's about as likely as the Snyder cut of Justice League or, you know, something <laughs> along those lines where to me it took on a life of its own just as a film nerd punchline rather than an actual devout cult following. But that's a really interesting point. I mean, technically the film did come out. Justice League did come out. It did, it did, I, but it wasn't his version. And only like what they say is, they say that only a quarter of what we saw was his. So that's where the following, I think, kind mm -hmm. of steamrolled bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, I think from that, vantage point shall we say I think a lot of it is about like the ideas or like the possibility of what the movie could be for you as an audience member mm -hmm. I feel like that's what they have a devout following to is that oh my god it's going to be better we have a movie that we didn't like and it could be better true it's true. like the the cult of film pe of people who talk about films that don't actually know about film so when they talk about how terrible it was they don't actually know that you know they were filming for 15 hours and their producer cut a couple thousand dollars and they just had to make it work. Yeah. I've also been spending a lot of time on the internet. Well, I mean, what else are you going to do? That's true, especially right now. Well, I guess that's like, I guess that's why I was interested in doing this episode too, is because I was thinking, what is counterculture now? Yeah. What is, and especially in regards to cold film, what is counterculture, especially when it's either like, it's, in the ethos never to be discovered or it's just like millions of people are watching it yeah it's like <laughs> the main mainstream is to be the counterculture yeah because yeah. everything is so discoverable at this point it's not yeah. about whether you can find it or not it's about like well how did you find it did you find it on vod yeah. or did you go to like some was i one of the first to find it yeah. i knew this film before it was cool yeah exactly with Midsommar, for a while, people were trying to make it a cult status film when, in my opinion, like it made 50 million. The budget was about 8 million. They made 50 million at the box office. People are still talking about it on very mainstream platforms mm -hmm. like BuzzFeed and Vox a year after the film came out. I would say it was one of the more popular women's costumes, like the kind of cult member long white gown and the flower crown. Wait, that um, movie, the budget was only 9 million? Yep. I know. Oh. I'm shocked as well. Um, I think I looked earlier today and Fifth Element was 90 million, right? Really? Yeah, I'm going to double was, check. It was a, a fairly big budget sci-fi movie. That's yeah, actually another cult status 90 film. million. Exactly. Which I don't understand how it is cult status. People love it. It costs a lot of money. Bright colors. If you want to be a cult bright status colors. film, bright colors. I mean, it's a beautiful movie and I love it. It's one of my favorite films of all time, but it's not a cult movie in my opinion. 
it's not a cult movie i i if i remember right i I feel it did fairly well the box office i could be wrong but yeah 263.9 million it it, i wouldn't put that in a cult status and that was in 1997 exactly like that's you know equivalent to like 500 million now Mm -hmm. i mean the budget of 90 million in 97 come on true but with uh midsummer i think people are put trying to put it on a cult status pedestal because of the type of movie it is they don't feel like oh it doesn't appeal to everybody so people who like it it's got to be this type of movie which i mean that's it, actually it still a really did. good point because the other still thing did was, a lot of money mm-hmm. and made... yeah and like they joked about it i shouldn't say joked about it but they they like featured it as a big part of the opening ceremony for the oscars with the maid yeah. queen gown mm-hmm. and all the background dancers it was like how is this a cult film if they're talking about it in with all due respect to the Academy, one of the most widely watched film That's events. exactly what makes yeah. it not a cult film. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's an amazing film. It was one of my favorite films ever, but it's, it's not film. like a, oh, super underground. You have to like go to Alamo Weird Wednesdays to watch it. I mean, I would almost put his first movie, Hereditary, more in a cult status than his than Midsommar. Just Oof, because it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a film Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it was still widely talked about, but it was, it's still that same thing. People, it doesn't appeal to everybody. Yeah. I could almost see people saying, don't go see this film. Don't go see yeah. this film. It's so effed up. Like it's so scary. Don't go see it. And a people then not seeing it because someone told them it was way too scary and B going, Ooh, well, if it was that scary, I have to watch it. Like some of the legend kind of birth from that. Exactly. What are and, some of, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask what some of your other, uh, future cult status films are for you, the Cinemaiden and you, Brad. Future cult? Uh, like I movies like maybe it. that you've seen recently that you were like, mm-hmm. well, I could see this becoming a, like I said, Yeah, like they color can do midnight screenings of it or something. Inquiring minds want to I know. can't even remember what movie or, I saw know, yesterday. Cinemaiden. <laughs> I know I've seen a few horror movies probably I, – horror movies to me i feel lend perfectly to become like a cult movie because people would be like Mm -hmm. have you seen this like for instance another one that was at horror hound that when you were there was candy corn oh was that the one with tony todd yes yeah and it i love the movie i think it's great it's basically a, a homage to 80s horror movies of of old so and and i know it doesn't appeal to a lot of people but i can see it kind of gaining a a following behind it after a while well especially because it wasn't widely released i was gonna say i also feel like tony todd has such a cult following from Candyman. it's kind of like a lead-in audience well and it had uh pj souls who was in halloween and then um Courtney Gaines, who played Malachi oh, yeah, in Children, Children of the, the Corn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he he had some cult, you know, movie stars in this film too. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, right. I don't know how mm-hmm. much, how much, what the budget was for this. Oh, yeah. I think that this movie would qualify. Ingrid Goes West. Oh, I love that movie. I love oh, that that's movie. That's a great movie. It's also very. But- flashy and it has all the yeah. bright colors that i love yeah but it only did 3.3 million in the box office 
Well, what's so interesting about that is that that was a, the distributor Neon, that was one of their films, I believe two years or at least a year or two before Parasite. And now Neon is Neon because of Parasite. Ah, uh, oh, Parasite. But yeah, I think that got like a really lit, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it got a very coast to coast release with maybe a couple theaters here in Austin and a couple in Portland or something. But yeah, that's a great movie. And that's very kind of like zany and weird and a sort of Heather's sort of way. That's one movie it reminded me a little bit of is Heather's. Yeah. So I, future cult movies, I could see that being one of them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's our episode. I think we've solved a lot of problems. I think we've asked a lot of really important questions. Cinemaiden, Brad, do you have anything you would like to add? No, thanks for having I us. I mean, yeah, thank you, thank you for having us on. But it was no, fun. cult it movies. Was different... I love cult movies. So, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was nice was not really not reviewing one movie. It was nice just talking about movies in general. Well, I don't know about you guys. I had a lot of fun. I learned some things, and maybe we made the world a better place. Okay, we probably didn't, but either way, I'm really, really glad that we had this discussion, and I want to thank the Cinema Guys for stopping by. Be sure to check out their next episode, premiering October 16th. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Cinema Guys. Well, that about does her. Wraps are all up. And it was a pretty good story, don't you think? Made me laugh to beat the band. Parts, anyway. I guess that's the way the whole darn human comedy keeps perpetuating itself. Down through the generations. Westward the wagons. Across the sands of time until we... Oh, look at me. I'm rambling again. Well, I hope you folks enjoyed yourselves. Catch you later on down the trail. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes. And be sure to check us out on our Patreon page, where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. A very special thanks to our Patreon supporters, John F., Variolo Fencing, LLC, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl Presses Play.